Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We've been studying with Jesus in the master class in the School of Life. And what we saw last week is the quickest way to derail true goodness is by seeking the mere appearance of goodness. And out of that comes hypocrisy. But then today what we're going to look at is the second way that discipleship is most often derailed, and it's what Jesus calls the worries of the world or the seduction of wealth. And so we're going to be studying today what I've titled The Path Out of Anxiety. And if you uh, missed any of the, the previous messages in this series, I encourage you to go back to the website and check those out. You can find them all there. We're going to read today from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, and I'm going to interject a few comments along the way just to help us follow the flow of thought. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And laying up is the idea of stockpiling reserves. It's savings that you depend on. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Or that could be translated, it's the lamp of a person's being. So if your eye is healthy or single-focused, whole, sincere, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, or literally it says, oppressed by toils, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters or two lords. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word for money there is mammon, which is a reference to wealth and affluence in general. And what's interesting to me is that it's, this isn't so much a command, it's just a statement of fact. It's a statement of, this is impossible to actually do. It's not, you shouldn't do it, you mustn't do it, it's, it cannot be done. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And notice the connection there. You cannot serve God in mammon, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How many birds are you worth? So anxiety is needless. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So anxiety is useless. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faiths? So anxiety is also faithless. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or all the nations, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, those are familiar words, and you may have read them in the past in a moment of anxiety, and it may have struck you similarly to, I don't know if you've seen an old comedy skit with Bob Newhart where he plays a therapist, right? And a woman comes in for a session and she says, doctor, I have a fear of being buried alive in a box. And he says, well, has anyone ever tried to bury you alive in a box? She says, no, but you know, just the thought of it makes me so anxious, so much that I I can't go in a tunnel, I can't go in an elevator, I, I can't even go into a house. And he says, Okay, I'm going to give you two words. I want you to listen very, very carefully. And then I want want you to leave this office and incorporate these words into your life. And she says, okay, well, can I write them down? Well, it's just two words. You know, you can remember them. Are you ready? Are you listening? Stop it! (laughs) I'm sorry, doctor. Did you say stop it? Yes! S-T-O-P-I-T! It's not Yiddish, Catherine. It's English. (laughs) Just stop it. And thankfully what Jesus has to say here, even though you may have read this and it may have come across like that, like Jesus is just saying, well, just stop it. Stop worrying. Well, that's not very helpful, Jesus. I can't stop feeling anxious just by trying to stop. Well, actually what he's got to say here is a lot more profound than that. And so we're going to take a closer look. And before we even do, just think about the person that is speaking to us in these words. Think about Jesus' life. What characterized his life? He was utterly free from all the anxieties that we tend to get trapped in. And so if we're going to address anxiety, we're asking Jesus to teach us. Jesus, teach us, what is anxiety? Where does it come from, and how do we deal with it? So, what is it? Well, it turns out anxiety is a lot easier to describe than it is to define, but I want to try. So I'm going to paraphrase a combined definition from the American Psychiatric Association and the American Psychological Association, and this is a very simple way to define it, which is this. Anxiety is a feeling of worry about an uncertain future outcome. Now, that's pretty run-of-the-mill. That can take a million different forms. It's something that all of us naturally experiences at some point in life. But of course, it also takes on much more serious forms. It's something that actually uh, anxiety disorders are the most commonly diagnosed form of mental illness. It's estimated that along with stress, it counts for 95% of doctor's visits are stress and anxiety related. And so this is, this is prevalent. But I think there's a way in which it's even more 
foundational to the human condition, and it's this. The poet W.H. Auden, at the start of the Second World War, described it like this in, in his poem, The First of September, 1939. He said, faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. Auden later wrote a book called The Age of Anxiety. And I think if you had to choose a bumper sticker for the second half of the 20th century and even up until today, especially right now, you could hardly do better than The Age of Anxiety. <laughs> And so it's almost like there's this background noise of anxiety to life in general. So where does this come from? Well, in the passage that we read, Jesus highlights a number of the most common causes that make us anxious. The unpredictability of the future. The uncertainty of our purpose. The frailty of life. The dependence that we have on food and, and sustenance. Our concern for appearance and status. And then the fear that even if we have all these things, that all of them could be taken away in an instant. And does that list start to make you feel a little bit overwhelmed? <laughs> Life is complex. It's complex physically, it's complex emotionally, complex spiritually. And our anxiety comes when life gets to the point where we feel like we can't handle the complexity that's, that's confronting us. We can't handle the complexity. And the thing is, we are by nature finite, limited beings. And there's really a very limited range of what we can actually know, what we can actually do in life. That's just part of the nature of being human. And what's funny is, we're the only species on earth that isn't happy with that arrangement. I look at my dog, and he's very, you know, sometimes I look at my dog, and I think, man, all you do is sleep on the couch, eat food, and pee. That's all you do. And he's happy with that. <laughs> he's got no anxiety in the world about that. Human beings walk around anxious all the time about our limitations. Why is that? Well, I think it highlights the fact that we were made actually for great things. We were made in the image of God to rule his creation with him. And that imprint is on our hearts. Uh, the, the, the philosopher and pastor uh, Kierkegaard from the 19th century, he diagnosed that our anxiety comes from the fact of being finite beings untethered from the infinite. Our anxiety comes from the fact that rather than depending on God, as we were created to do, to do great things, sin has made it that we've tried to take God's role. And if you try and take God's role, of course, that's instantly overwhelming. That's instantly anxiety-producing. And so you see that. This is the next point. Anxiety stems from a desire to control what we cannot control. So, that's simple enough. How do we deal with it? <laughs> well, as I was thinking about this, it struck me that there's really only three ways. Maybe you can think of other ways and you can come and, and, and talk to me about this, but 
as it struck me, there's only really three ways of how to deal with anxiety. The first way is just not to deal with it, just to give up on dealing with it. Anxiety is just inherent to human life. We can never escape it. Just resign yourself to it. Resign yourself to the angst of being a human being. Now, that sounds a little depressing, right? It, it quite literally is very depressing. That's the point. I, <laughs> that's existential philosophy for you, but we won't get into that. Um, it's a logical conclusion that many have come to if you start on the foundation that there is no God. If there is no God, that's a very logical conclusion to come to. This is part of life. Deal with it. Life is full of anxiety. But there's a second way that is a lot more common, I think, and it's the one that our society quite obviously has bought into, which is to fight the anxiety by getting more and more of the things that we're dependent on in life. The quest to get more and more. So we, we say to ourselves, well, I'm worried about money. I'm worried about what I'm going to eat and drink, how I look to other people. And so if I work hard, if I get those things in abundance, well, then I'll never have to worry. I won't have to be anxious about the future because I'll have more than enough. And so that's the next point, that affluence promises control of the future through material possessions. Now, the problem with that, that seems to make sense, right? The problem with that, Jesus points out, is that even though material possessions do make your life easier in lots of ways, they simply do not solve the root causes of our anxiety. And so wealth tricks us into thinking that we have control over life. But life has, <laughs> life has a way of showing us very quickly that we don't, in fact, have any control over life. And suddenly you have a year like 2020 and all the, the greatest economy in the world, the health care and all the things come tumbling down and we see just how frail things really are. How little control we actually do have. You cannot solve the problems of finiteness through finite means. And so no matter how much wealth, how much power and influence we amass, it's always all on the brink of destruction. And in fact, when you look at the evidence of human experience, what you find is that the next point here, that living for affluence leads to more anxiety, not less. So it's counterintuitive. Living for affluence leads to more anxiety, not less. And I think that the philosopher Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, a.k.a. the notorious B.I.G., said it best. He said, more money, more problems. <laughs> There was a recent study that took place over 12 years involving 150,000 participants in 26 nations, and what they found was this. This was counter to what, they, uh, th what their hypothesis was when they started out. What they found was richer nations had significantly higher rates of anxiety than poorer nations. And when I say significant, I mean like 10 times the amount and more. People in rich, what they also found was that people in rich countries are more likely to be depressed. They're more likely to take their lives in suicide than in poorer countries. And so if one thing is for sure, more wealth is not the answer. 
We, despite what it looks like, we currently live in the richest, most well-fed, safest, most well-defended society that the earth has ever seen. And yet, at the same time, we're also the most anxious. So, there's got to be a third way. What's the third way? And it's the way of Jesus. That's who we're here to learn from. And here's, here's what Jesus tells us. He identifies a path that sets us on the right course. And here's the next point, that the assurance of faith is the only path out of anxiety. The assurance of faith is the only path out of anxiety. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And so what you see is that faith is actually the opposite of anxiety. Because faith brings assurance rather than doubt and uncertainty. And so faith is the whole and healthy opposite of anxious unease about the things that we hope for, about the things that we don't yet see. And so the antidote is the assurance of faith. And I think you can see this in the passage when Jesus um, Jesus applies that title that he applied to Peter in a different uh, part of the Gospels. He says, why are you worried about these things, little faiths? <laughs> and it's one word there, it's a title, little faiths. And so if lack of faith produces anxiety, then the answer is growth in faith. But faith doesn't just come by trying to have faith, you know, just gritting your teeth and saying, oh, I'm going to have faith. You know, faith comes by learning experientially, intellectually, emotionally, all those things. It comes by learning that God is actually trustworthy. That's how you come to the conviction that he can be trusted, which is faith. Faith is that strong conviction that God really is faithful. And so, um, like all these things that we've been talking about through the masterclass, this is a path. It comes by learning from Jesus. It's a path that we walk on. It's a character of life that's built into us as we're discipled by him. And so I wish that I could stand up here and give you an easy answer to the problem of anxiety. All I can offer you is a simple answer, <laughs> but it's not easy. There's no pill to take. There's no uh, single kind of like habit that you can do. It's a pathway of learning a walk of faith by which you get greater and greater assurance that God gives you no reason to be anxious. And so I believe this principle of a walk of trusting faith uh, holds this whole passage together. It helps us understand the way forward. And so Jesus gives us four characteristics about this path of faith and the assurance that it gives us. So let's look at these four characteristics. Firstly, faith dedicates itself to what truly matters. Faith dedicates itself to what truly matters. Jesus is telling us the way out of anxiety begins by fixing your eyes on a kingdom that is not susceptible to any human anxieties, no human frailties. 
And that's what the metaphor of the, the eye is about. That's a little bit of an obscure passage. Seems hard to understand. What are you getting at here, Jesus? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. The disciple's heart must be simply focused on Christ alone. If the eye sees something other than what is real, then the whole body is deceived. If the heart clings to the appearance of the world, to the creatures instead of the creator, then the disciple is lost. And so in that that metaphor of the, the eye being the lamp of the body, it's talking about when our vision gets darkened and cloudy, it's because it's fixed on things that that don't really matter, that aren't eternal, the wealth of the world. When our hearts become darkened, it's because they're clinging to those worldly riches. And I'm talking about clinging. It's not simply about having these things, although having them can sometimes make it harder. It's not just about having them. He talks about clinging to them. And what's interesting is about clinging to wealth can happen even if you don't have it because your heart can be set on having it even if you don't have it. (laughs) And so rather than dedicating yourself to worldly riches that pass away, Jesus says the path out of this is dedicating yourself to God and his kingdom, and that is how you can be assured that your work has value. You can be assured that your treasure can never be stolen, can never be eaten away. Your pension, your savings can never be, you know, robbed by a stock market crash or embezzlement or anything like that. There's no longer room for legitimate anxiety. But with the world's riches, anxiety is always legitimate. <laughs> You're right to be anxious. And so, That life of singular focus on what matters is the life that we see in Jesus. It's the life that we want to learn from him so that we can be like him. So, faith dedicates itself to what truly matters. Secondly, faith counts on God's providence. This actually became a theme in our service today. Faith counts on God's providence. And Jesus points to nature, right? He points to the birds, he points to the the flowers of the field, and how it all gets along just fine without anyone worrying about it. And it might be easy to read this passage and and picture Jesus kind of like sternly, uh, you know, like almost rebuking us for worrying, but I I don't read that in what he's saying here. I read him as comforting us, as his students as as his children comforting us that we don't need to be anxious because God provides. God is our provider. And so when he teaches us to pray in, in the previous verses to what we read, he teaches us to pray for our Father to provide our daily bread. That God really can be trusted with providing the things we need because he loves us, because he knows our needs. It reminds me of the words of Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside uh, still waters. He leads me into green pastures. He fills my cup. My table is, is set before me in the presence of my enemies. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
What a great habit just to, to memorize the words of Psalm 23. And there's, there's a fantastic book that I highly recommend by Dallas Willard called Life Without Lack. And it's all about uh, Psalm 23, what it is to live in the reality of that psalm. Because that is the reality that Jesus lived. When you look at Jesus' life, he was every day dependent on his father, reliant on his father. And the thing is, the thing that makes uh, all this hold together is that even if we work hard, even if we uh, you know, do our utmost to earn, to provide, which we should do. The Bible talks a lot about the value of work, the goodness of work. In fact, it's part of the mandate that God gave us in creation. Go out and cultivate the earth. And so work is good. But no matter what work we do, how much work we do, how hard we sweat for the provisions that we need, God ultimately provides. It's always ultimately God who provides. So we're called to work. Work is good. This is not Jesus' argument for, you know, just walking around in the fields, you know, and chilling with the birds. You know, work is good because we're made in the image of God who works. Jesus said, my father is always working. (laughs) But our calling to work, and this is so important, we're called to work. Here's our part in that. Our part is faithfulness. Being faithful to what God has given us to do. God is in control of the outcomes. Our job is faithfulness. God's job is outcomes. We can't engineer the outcomes. In fact, you have hilarious and tragic results when we try and ensure the outcomes. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Or, or better translated, that says, for he gives to his beloved in their sleep. And so you see, we work but God gives the outcome. Always, even in our sleep. And that brings me on to the next point, which is that faith embraces limitations. Part of the path out of anxiety is learning to live within the limits that we have. They're part, they're actually part of God's plan. They're actually good for us. In fact, they're a gift. Now, if you just stop and think about our limitations. Take our need for sleep. You will spend roughly 33% of your life unconscious in sleep. Why in the world did God (laughs) design such an inefficient machine, right? Would you buy a car that only worked 66% of the time, right? (laughs) Not not if you don't have to. Why would God design us that way? Well, it's part of the limitation within which we're designed to flourish because it makes us dependent on God. We're made in the image of the God who works, but also in the image of the God who rested on the seventh day. And so 
What you see in Jesus is that he embraced his human limitations. He humbled himself into the physical limitation of a finite body contained within finite space, contained within finite time. And this is really encouraging to me because I often have big dreams and ambitions and I want to do lots of stuff. I want to do everything. I tell Selena, like, I want to read all the books. You know, I want to do all the stuff. And (laughs) what's encouraging is that, you know, when you try and do that, obviously you burn out. But Jesus never tried to do that. Isn't that cool? Jesus didn't try and do that. And so that takes the pressure off us. He didn't heal everyone that there was to heal. He didn't go everywhere that there was to go. In fact, he stayed within like a 60-mile radius or so. God the Son embraced the limits of a physical body. Finite space, finite time, and he chose to spend only three years in the public eye. And how did he choose to spend his three years? Mostly walking around in the countryside. Discipling a dozen uninfluential nobodies. (laughs) And so, if Jesus was happy to contain himself to those limits, maybe we can be happy to contain ourselves to the limits that God's given us. And actually, what it makes me think of is that anyone who's uh, creative knows that working within certain limitations, it doesn't, act, it doesn't kill your productivity. It doesn't kill your, your imagination. It can actually activate it and enliven it. So for instance, if I give you, you, know, I give you a blank canvas and I say, paint whatever you want, you instantly feel anxious like, well, Oh, I don't know. What do I paint? I mean, you know, what color do I start with? What if I say, here's a blank canvas, paint me something, but only use the color red. Now, instantly, something probably popped in your mind of what you could paint, right? And so having a framework, almost like a a trellis, um, allows the vine, now I'm switching into a, a a gardening metaphor, as if I garden, you know, the trellis is just a framework but it it allows the vine to grow and and flourish uh, in a way that it couldn't. It would just lie on the ground if not for the trellis, right? And so here's the point, the last point. Uh, Faith embraces limitations, but faith reasons from God's love. Faith reasons from God's love. And this is the last point. And just to be clear, I I want to say this, that This promise of provision does not guarantee that we will have a trouble-free life. In fact, Jesus promises you will have trouble in this life. But fear not, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble in this world, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And so, We should expect that problems will come. We should expect that we will sometimes suffer deprivation if we're living for a different kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, you know, to deal with your anxiety, just just take your mind off it, deny it, go to a spa, you know, get a massage, go to your happy place. Think, you know, just take your mind off your problems. Just think less. He doesn't say think less. He says think more about God's love. Think more about God's goodness, about God's faithfulness. 
And so the point is not to deny the problems that we will inevitably face, but it's to transcend them by the love of God, which is limitless, which is unstoppable. And that is the basis for a peace that surpasses understanding. In every circumstance of life, the love of God should be the foundation of how you interpret it. And so if you come into a circumstance in life or you, you see something in life and your, your interpretation, your, the way you interpret it has no room for the love of God, the God who is love, well, then your interpretation is off. Something's wrong. God is love and he loves you. That is a foundation that you can bank on that you can plan on, that you can invest in, that you can lay your life down for. And so you have to ask yourself, on the, on the basis of that foundation, what if the very, very worst that we go around fearing, what if the very, very worst actually did happen? If your worst fears actually came to pass, how does faith respond? And I think there's no better words to sum up the assurance of faith that leads us out of anxiety than Paul and how he reasons about life based on God's love. And these are words from Romans 8 that you'll have heard before. Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who? shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or virus or turmoil or elections or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long no we are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we're more than conquerors because we didn't have to do the conquering he did the conquering we reaped the benefits we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And these are the words that our anxious hearts need to hear. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Good, loving, 
infinite Father, we recognize that without you, we are doomed to an anxious life. So we pray that in this age of anxiety that you would put us on the path of faith that gives us assurance. That we would walk with you learning to depend on your providence. That we would learn to embrace the gift of our limitations. That we learn to base all of our reasoning on the pervasive reality of your love. Your love that transcends every and any worry that we could ever possibly have, even death. Jesus, this is what we see in you. This is what we seek to learn from you as your students so that we can be like you and do what you do. Jesus, work this assurance into us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want to give an opportunity here as well for any of us who may not have entered into this relationship with Jesus where we belong to him because these, these promises of not having to worry, of not having to be anxious in the world uh, are given to his disciples. They're given to those uh, who are called children of God by faith. And so if you've not entered into that, that walk of faith with Jesus that gives you assurance, if you desire that life free from anxiety, you can step into that path of faith with him right now and you can follow these words with me as I pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for making other things my master. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me so that I could be set free from my sin and that you resurrected so that I could become a child of God. Jesus, today, I want to make myself your student. And I want to walk with you on that path of faith for the rest of my life. Please give me your Holy Spirit and make me a new person that looks like you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.